Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. So we're going to do a short Bible study. But it's just one, one phrase that appears twice in Scripture that I'd like us to do an exegetical Bible study on. And so that we can understand it in the light of what the Scripture actually means and how practically applicable that is in our lives. And that phrase, which is the title of what we're talking about today, is the phrase, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. It's a Bible study, so we'll do a lot of reading, a lot of referencing original language. Redeeming the time. How many of you have heard that phrase? How many of you have used the phrase? Yeah? It's a very popular Pentecostal phrase. If you have been around in, in Pentecostal settings for a while, then you have come across that phrase. But let's look at it in the light of what the phrase actually means. The phrase comes from two Greek words, redeeming the time, right? Redeeming. Pay attention to that word, redeeming the time. Now, you've always known it to mean whatever you've known it to mean. Redeeming the time, capi diem. You know, sharp, sharp. The words are exagorazo in the Greek for redeeming. Exa, E-X-A. The word ex is from the word ek. Ex means out. Hence, external, exterminate, expire. Excuse, right? So the Latin ex comes from the Greek ek, right? Which means out of or from. Make sense? It is how you have the word ecclesia, which comes from two Greek words, ek for out or from, and kaleo, which means to call. So ecclesia then means the ones who have been called out from. Are you following me now? All right, so the word ek is the word from or the word out of. And then the other word is exagorazo. E-X-A-G-O-R-A-Z-O-Z-O. Right, if you're British, it'd be Z. If you're American. So it's exagorazo. Whenever you say Z in the Greek, there is a D consonant before it that helps it come forth. That's sozo is S-O-Z-O, but it's pronounced sozo. Make sense? There's a D consonant before the Z. So, hence, exagorazo. In phonetic pronunciation or spelling, but it's spelled exagorazo. You got it? That's the word for redeeming in the Greek, which is the language in which the New Testament was written. At one point or the other, it was translated to Aramaic, which is what Jewish used to be known as, or Hebrew used to be known as. So Jesus didn't speak Jewish or Hebrew as he's spoken today. Aramaic was the ubiquitous or the endemic or the, shall I say, natural language of the Israelis in the time of Jesus. Before it evolved, etymology happened to it to now become what is known today as Hebrew. 
Even Greek as we know it today, modern Greek, is totally different from New Testament Greek. Totally different from classical Greek. Are you here? So, exagorazo is the word redeeming, or to redeem. And we'll explore what it means in a short while. And we'll start to make sense. Exagorazo is the first word for redeeming. The next word is, obviously, time. Again, the word time in English suffers the same terrible fate of other words like love. Words like faith. So you must not depend on English to understand scripture by itself. Because, you know, every time you see love in the Bible in English, it, it means multiple different things. Multiple different things. When you see a word like Elohim, a word like carnal, a word like flesh, you understand how it is believers that are carnal. Unbelievers are not carnal. It's believers that walk in carnality. An unbeliever doesn't have the spirit of regeneration in the first place. So it's believers that walk in the flesh. Unbelievers are flesh. They are sons of perdition. So when you read a term, calm down. One of them words is this word time. Because in the New Testament language, there are many different Greek words rendered time. And they mean different things. There is eon. There is chronos. And then there's the one that is translated time in the text we're looking at. In that phrase, redeeming the time. Which is the word kairos. So you can come across time, 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 time. And not understand what it actually means. So when you see forever and ever. You think it's everlasting. Fire never runs out. It burns forever and ever. What is forever and ever? Aeon ata aeon. Dispensation until or dispensation until after dispensation. That's what English renders forever. You now say it's eternal. Never finishes. So the two words are exagorazo for redeeming and kairos. Exagorazo itself, just like ekbalo or uh, ecclesia, is a compound word that consists of two separate words. Ek, which I've explained to you, and agorazo. Ek means out of or from, right? Agorazo, I love studying the Bible. Redeeming is the English word. Are you here? Exagorazo. Redeeming. Exagorazo for redeeming is from two words in the Greek. Ek, out of or from, and agorazo. Agorazo literally means to go to the marketplace and buy out something. So it's not just purchasing something. It is that you went to the market looking for a great festival, right? You went to the market where you know that it's the primary place they sell great festival. Does that, does that make sense? And you buy out every single great festival in all the markets. Such that the next person that comes looking for great festival doesn't have any. That's agorazo. Now the term agorazo means that you are buying out Oh, Holy Spirit, help me. One of the wealthiest men in the world. Primary wealth 
multiplied in a season where all the stocks and shares crashed. It was a heavy banking crisis. So imagine a share dropping from $300 per share to 60 cents per share. That was a major crash. Does that make sense? So people were offloading shares and jumping out of the stock market. The guy just bought all the shares that crashed. I went back to sleep. Living in the same house he has lived for 35 years. Flying economy. Never flying business class. How much more owning a private jet. This doesn't see a reason why he should live his house that he's comfortable in for 35 years because he has more money. And everybody offloaded their shares. The guy just went to town, bought and put it away and went to sleep. Because he knew one thing. This thing will pass. Now it passed. America bounced back from recession. Stock prices began to go back up. Guess who had the bulk of them now to sell? And whoop, 50, 56, 60 billion dollars from buying what failed. You hear now? That's Agorazo. Because Agorazo means going to the market, buying out something with the prospect of future value in mind. Are you here now? With the prospect of future value in mind, I'm buying this thing now at this price, not just because I love it, but because I know what it can be worth in the times to come. So I go to the market, and I just go from market to market everywhere a market exists, and I buy out everything, and I buy it and put it away because I know that it will be worth something. That can give me a killing in profit. Does that make sense? That's the word agorazo. Agorazo in itself comes from a Greek word, agora. Agora means the central marketplace where people go to do the most primary of trades. Does that make sense? Such that if I say, I want to buy out all the crayfish in Aquabon. Let's go to Oran. Are you following me now? Agorazo means to go to the market and buy out. And it comes from Agora, which means the central place where they are selling what I'm looking for. Redeeming the time. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us. It comes from the root word, exagorazo. Redeem. We're talking about redeeming the times. So when you say Christ has redeemed us, what he did was to go to market earth, agora, and say, you know what? Every version of David, sell it to me. The David that will be stupid, the David that will be smart, the David that will mess up, the David that will graduate from school, the David that will marry, the David that will struggle with addiction, every version of David that can ever exist in this dispensation, I'm buying it. So that I don't buy some of you, and then you manifest something. It's like, it's like, it's Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's like the patent. All right? So you can, I can give something to you and retain the patent. Does that make sense? And, and at any point in time, I can lay claim to the patent. Do you understand? It's one thing for me to have a technology that is available for you to use. It's another thing for me to take all my technology and give you as yours. The first person that... that, that thought of the idea of putting fingerprints in phones. Do you know the first thing they did? They took the sketch and the idea and patented it. So there's how you can never ever think of doing it the way we did it. 
if your fingerprint unlocks in the exact same milliseconds as mine, you have stolen my patent. That means every single phone you produce belongs to me. Because it came off my patent. Do you understand now? So how do mobile phones leak? How do features on mobile phones leak? By patents that were filed. So if you're a geek and you follow the trail, you see that, oh, this person filed a patent to say that we want the bottom of this phone to be leaner than this other one. And then you can tell when the next galaxy comes out, it will have a leaner bezel than this other one because they filed this patent. It's not the product that makes you have ownership. It's the authority over the idea of everything that that idea can become. Everything the idea can become. Because I can make one thing, and when the thing is perfect, I say, here, sell this thing. And somebody else can take it and blow out that idea, and I don't get credit or profit for it. Does that make sense? So when I patent the idea, I've patented everything this thing can potentially be. If it turns into this, I own it. If it turns into that, I own it. You cannot come and now take what I've done, change it a little bit, tweak it, and then make profit by it. You are in trouble. That's a patent. So not just the idea, but everything that will come from the idea is mine. Agorazo. So when Jesus bought you, he bought the idea of you as a son of God. Anything that you will become, Jesus purchased so when he says he purchased you by his blood, he didn't just go and buy a son of God from sin and death. He bought a son of God along with everything that son of God can ever be, good or bad. So there is no state in a believer's life that he's not owned by God. That's what it means for you to be redeemed. It's not just a cute Pentecostal word. There is nothing that you can become that will be outside the patent of the cross of Jesus Christ. That ought to excite somebody. So you were not just, you were not just bought. You were not just saved. And that's why religious people continue to bang their heads on the wall and say that you can lose your salvation. There's what you can do that will make you not come into this. There's something you can be. Sir, there's nothing. There's nothing. Because Jesus, open eye, go market. He didn't go to any market where they sell palm oil. He went to the central market where he knows if I buy this sinner, there's nobody that can wake up anywhere and try to lay claim to any version of what this person will become. Yeah. I own him. I own him. This wasn't just some, some whimsical, arbitrary, random transaction. Jesus bought you and saved you. And he didn't think of when you would be in trouble. So when you're not in trouble, when you start running up and down, trying to figure out how we should fix this thing. No. Whatever version of your life in the now and the hereafter was patented in what the cross paid for. So there's no version of what you become that will take God by surprise. That is what it means simply to be redeemed. It's like a slave in the slave era getting his freedom from his master. But the slave has a wife and children. 
If I'm serious about giving you your freedom, I must of a necessity purchase the freedom of your wife and children. I will add a clause that says, if by chance at the time of this purchase, any of these nine children are carrying any seed, their seed in the hereafter are covered in this purchase. Because the slave master can come, it's commodities they are selling, and say, well, you are free, but at the time that you were sold, you were pregnant, and that child you are carrying is mine. That's what was happening in slave trade. So you will have to add a clause to say, Any, anywhere this transaction goes, I paid. Calculate the cost. Sell me this one slave as though it was him, his wife, his nine children, their spouses, and their children. Don't sell it to me like the, the value of this one slave is 10 shillings. Calculate everything that can potentially come out of this one slave. Tell me how much. A thousand shillings, here's five thousand. That's a buyout. Does that make sense now? Now to him. Who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before his throne with great joy. Now to him who is able. It is his ability now. Because he owns the patent. It's not yours. Agorazo. Because somebody open eye, go market. You must understand the reality of your sonship in Christ Jesus. You must. So when you say, "Let the redeemed of the Lord say so," hey, do you, do, you, do you understand the weight of what you are saying? There's no way I can end up anything contrary to what my owner. Has determined. Yes, 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 yes. For those he foreknew, Romans eight twenty nine. Those he foreknew, he called. He predestined those he foreknew to be conformed. So who is conforming you? Him. To the image of his son. To the image of the son, so that he, the son, might be the firstborn of many brethren. God cannot be done with you until he's done with you. Until he's done with you. Why? Because you are redeemed. He didn't buy some part of you and left some other part for somebody else to buy. So when something goes wrong with you, God jumps away because he didn't buy that part of you. Or Satan can walk up to God and say, this one is mine. You didn't pay for that. There's no version of you that is not redeemed. No version. That's why he's the one that establishes you. Preserves you. Presents you. He's responsible for you. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Is the gift of God, not of works. Sir, you had no sin. You received faith to find out you had been saved. You did not receive faith to be saved. You received faith to realize you have a new owner. Do you understand? You just woke up and saw new transaction. You didn't sign anywhere. 
And it's not something you can ordinarily understand. So I now energize you to understand. Because as I bought you over now, you are not for sale in any other market. So people that are selling deliverance from people from your father's house, which is uh, which is from your father's house, you need to go for deliverance. You know, you need to look at the history of your name. You need to do the hey. When I was bought, sir, my father's house, his father's house, then his father's house, or their father's house. All their father were calculated in the price of my buyout. Buy me and I leave my village for somebody else to come and negotiate. Okay, the one will remain. How much can I pay to own this one? Pepper them later. How much can I pay so that this your salvation will not reach the port that was buried in the village? How much salvation can I pay so that even though he's saved, his name can still be troubling him? I I'm reading him. Agorazo. Go to the main marketplace. Where they are are captured sinners for sale. Buy them out. Never to be found there again. Never. He now sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. Part of what a seal does after guaranteeing you a seal is twofold in nature. I will teach that someday. The the, the importance of seals. A seal guarantees you. A seal distinguishes you. So now that you have been sealed, if Satan went like a roaring lion, seeking who to devour, if he sees the seal, he's not crazy enough to try and infiltrate where he sees the seal. That's why we are confident a believer cannot be demon possessed. Can, cannot. Cannot. Listen, the life of a believer is not a two bedroom flat. Holy Spirit is in one room. In the master bedroom. There's not one small room that the enemy can enter and possess. They now start fighting light and darkness. Like you have watched too much me. You watched too much me. Why do you think he says he, the Holy Spirit, feels us? Feels us. Feels us. Means there's no space. There's no space. So they sit, it's junior demons running around. He sees the Holy Spirit inside you and he says, yeah, I can live in the boys quarters. Hey. And then a prophet will tell you, I know you are saved, but uh, sir, you are the bot. You are the bot, sir. Because in my case, there's no bot. I'm redeemed. Agorazo. What you don't know, you don't know until you know. Because I bet some people believe they knew what Rudy meant. So, Agorazo. To purchase and buy out. Don't forget the prefix. Ek. 
so you were bought out in totality from? Yes. You were bought in totality out of. That's why must be redeemed. Exagorazo. You will never find me there again. Where I have been bought from, you will never find me there again. Whatever hell is, I cannot go there. If I landed there and he sees me, it will shout, blood of Jesus. What are you trying to do here? Can you not see your seal? You want to put me in trouble? Please, 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 I come against you in Jesus' name. Come on, spoil market for me. What are you trying to try to do here? What are you trying to try to do here? Please, 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 please. It's at the end of days I will be put into a lake of fire, not today. <laughs> Come on, spoil this small market I'm trying to, to devour <laughs> before the end of days. Come on, make God notice me early. So I will not collect you in here. He will not look for you and come to here. You think he will not come and look for you here? What will I explain to him that I used to keep you here? That you sinned? Which is not in the patent he paid for. Is Satan and I will not be giving you advice, preaching, preaching the gospel to you. He will not start preaching the gospel to you. It's like, it's like you don't know what, they, what happened to you. You think if I, if I couldn't touch you, I would not have come and found you since I wait for you to come to hell. But I brought hell to you. Isn't that what Satan challenged God and says, have you not put a hedge around Job? Job. No cross, no Holy Spirit, no grace. Have you not put a hedge around him? In other words, when God was telling Satan, have you noticed my servant? In short, God was actually taunting Satan. Because by Satan's response, have you not? It means that Satan don't try. Don't try. Enter Job. And he could not enter Job because he knew who was responsible. He knew who was responsible. Remove that thing you are using to protect him and see now. It's not you. Does Joe fear you for nothing? So picture like an animation. You see Satan running, coming around, and you see that big ring of fire around Job. See Satan coming, and then he would try and try and touch it and go. like electric fence. I'm redeemed. I, me, me like this. I cannot be lost. Cannot be lost. It, it is impossible. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, I think it's verse 20. 1 Corinthians 6. Are you in Christ's experience? Yes. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Zephakalazo Look at this. For you were bought at a price. Put the TPT up. You were bought. Look at this. 
Am I teaching you correctly or right? <laughs> you were God's expensive purchase. But, wait for this, paid for with tears. For you were God's expensive purchase. He opened See, let me tell you something. Please, love is not blind. And pastor, and when I married her, I didn't know she was going to be like because you thought he was blind. It did not shine your eye. Now your eye have clay. <laughs> Ma, love is not blind. It's because of the love. See, see, the church of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of things you need to learn and correct. Though. There's a lot about your doctrine that is influenced by your culture. So when I teach, I understand the strongholds I'm up against. And I understand how you think that it is too lofty to be true. Listen, when you say love is blind and it becomes a paradigm, it becomes a mantra, it becomes an energy, it means that you are liable to realize that you got something wrong. And, and because you, at any point in time, you can realize, ah, when you realize that, you're, then you're, 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 you're likely to change your affiliation and to become unhappy about the person that you thought you loved because at the time you loved them, love was blind. Once you believe this mantra, guess who the next culprit of that mantra is? God. You will now start to interpret God's love according to your own understanding of love and we will now help you and say based on the fact that this is how love is if god gets pissed at you you're in trouble i've said over and over the church oh lord jesus it's your church you're going to fix it there's no christian that will argue that god hates divorce not a single christian the worst of religious persons and the worst of the grace liberals will agree. God says, not God hates, God says, I the Lord hate divorce. A man and woman are in major trouble. The husband is beating the wife, he's messing her up and she will come to pastor. What is the first thing pastor will tell you? Sister, persevere, preserve. I will pray for you for grace and patience and tolerance because the Bible says God hates divorce. And the same pastor will tell you God will divorce you if you are in trouble. The same pastor will tell you, ah, you are hurting God. You are being a nasty wife to God. Be careful because God will divorce you. But that God that will divorce you forces you to stay with somebody that is messing you up because he hates divorce. Listen to me. Change God. How can you teach that God hates divorce? And you are right. But you miss what God was wanting to show you by saying I hate divorce. God was not saying you and you must spend the rest of your life together or I will deal with you. No. He was just saying this to show you that the way that you put up with this person regardless of what they do 
and you're still married to them. That's my will. It's me showing you how this, our marriage is going to work. Because if you want divorce papers signed, if I know Greece, I cannot go in. Now you want divorce, if I'm not signing, you are not going. So you get up and tell God you want to divorce. God is not signing. Why is he not signing, sir? He hates If God is signing divorce papers, he's a liar, a cheat, and a fraud. I'm waiting for him to come and explain to me how he has double standards. That's the day I stopped being a believer. It's a waste of time. I said over and over, I'm too intelligent, too smart, too widely read, too educated, too exposed and traveled to be a believer in something that is a sham. It's a waste of time. Because the day I established that about God, I'm out. I won't, you, won't, you won't find me. I'm gone. That's how convinced I am about what I mean. He's signing divorce papers. People that his sons that upset him. He's throwing them away. His own sons. Not unbelievers. I mean, no great belief. His own that he purchased with an expensive price. He has forgotten the cost of his bride price. He has forgotten how much it cost him to purchase me. He cannot wake up because he don't vex. Holy hunger. You know what? Depart from me. Get out of my sight. And he did not redeem me. It was higher purchase. When people that are talking redeem are talking, sir, God, please don't talk. You embarrass yourself. Embarrass yourself. It's higher purchase. It doesn't favor you anymore. It starts to agitate. You want to now offload it. Like a bad transaction. You were bought with an expensive price. Put it up in the message. First Corinthians 6.20 Look at this. Please, see how the message puts that first line. The whole works. Stay in the message. Go to 7.23 Thank you, Father. Look at this. All of you, slave and free both, were once held hostage in a sinful society. Then... A hood. <laughs> no, a hood. Hey! A hood sum was paid out for your ransom. So I'm skipping the qualifying. Beats because that's where I'm coming to eventually. Put up in the TPT. Since a great price. See why we say the Christ conscious believer is grateful for the cross? How does the Amplifier put this text? A great price, a huge sum. You were bought with a price, a precious price paid by Christ. Huge price. Go, Razo. So, if you put the word together, that's redeeming or redeemed or redeem. Exagorazo would mean to buy up the whole works. Hmm? Buy up. To rescue from loss. To take full advantage of. Making the mess, I like this one I wrote here. Making the most of a present opportunity because you recognize its future gain. 
Do you understand? Somebody has one son only. As God as he is, sir. And one picking you get. Do all you want. Be glorious all you want, sir. Is one son you have. That's all you're worth. One. Is that your plan? One. So that one will now come and stand and now say, except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. Referring to seed. He is the same person that when he gave parable of the sower, the interpretation after the crowd left, the first line was, the seed is the word. It is that word that became flesh. It is that word that is the son. It is that word that is incorruptible seed. Are you here now? That seed, that word, is typified by corn of wheat. Does that make sense? So when he's saying, except a corn of wheat, falls to the ground. The corn of wheat is the seed. The seed is the word. The word is the son. Except the corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies. This corn of wheat abides alone as the only begotten son of God. But if this corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it brings forth many fruits that he might be the first fruit of all creation, firstborn of many brethren. So, boom, all of us. So, why did God buy you? He recognized the future benefit. My children go plenty. <laughs> Do you understand now? Hey, if I pull this off, if I pull this off, if Jesus no slack for guarding. Because it's in the garden that everything would have gone bad. You remember in the garden of Gethsemane? When he prayed and said, I don't want to do this. If Jesus no slack for garden, oh boy. I don't know. So what is what is redemption? Purchasing everything, laying everything on the line, recognizing its future gain. That's how you go and buy land somewhere where there's no road and leave it. In five years' time, road will come and meet it. Exagorazo. Redeem. Big word. Big word. I repeat, what you don't know, you don't know until you know. He coming down. Oh, we finished. When we finished teaching Christ, what will we teach? You will never finish. You can't finish. Galatians 3.13. Exagorazo. Four times it's used in the New Testament. Only four times. I'll show you the, the two, and then I'll show you the other two in the text for today. Galatians 3.13. Look at this now in the light of the fact of exagorazo. Because that's the word used there. 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So somebody brings one law from the back door and say you must get ah, you lie, 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 Lord, 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 Lord. You lie, Lord. Lord. Yeah, the Ten Commandments have been removed the other way. Lie, Lord. Why? Because as far as the law is concerned, I have been redeemed. I've been redeemed, sir. There's no part of me that was left for any part of the law to ravage. See how deep and how great and expensive the purchase is. Christ became the curse. He didn't use another substance to pay for my curse. He became the price for my curse. It's a serious matter. He became the curse. And okay, what's the curse? Okay, curse is anyone hangs on a tree. Ah, easy now, bring tree. Bring tree. He became the curse. He did not reverse the curse. God could have sat down on the throne and said, Oh, no more sinner. Even if you hang on a tree, you ain't going to be cursed no more. I hereby remove the curse. And he has the power to do that. And it would have been good enough for me. But no. No. And he becomes the curse. So that every consequence for that curse in all eternity conglomerates in him. Kill him, you kill the curse. Because it is the curse you are killing. Yeah? Kill him, kill the curse of all nations for all eternity in one fell swoop. You come and tell me, no, no, it's I'm expensive. So I'm sorry for people that feel like they, they have known the gospel. I've known the gospel. The gospel cannot, you cannot hear anything new. Ah, you are cheating yourself. The richness of this thing, we have not started scratching the surface of. We have not started scratching the surface of how much God did in Christ Jesus. You can't retain any form of sanity. See, let me help you today. If you, are, if you hear the word of God, when you hear the word of God, and it challenges you to do something, stop planning how to change. Just change. Stop planning how to repent. Just repent. Oh, you've always felt like when I heard the word of God, I want to jump. No, don't start measuring your heart. Just jump. Because until you start, you have not started. If there's somebody that you feel like you need to go and speak to and say, you know what, I listen, as soon as the meeting ends, I'll hold somebody's hand and say, you know what, that just brought light out right now that applies to where we are. Deal with it. That's how you repent. You can't, you can't use pride to repent. It's meekness. Instantly. Instantly. So if you ever felt like, oh, you know what? I No, 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 just, just drop it. The riches in the gospel, you don't know it. You don't know it. So if you thought you knew it, repent. And what you, you, you are hearing that you didn't know, allow it to move you. It's big what Jesus did. Galatians 4, 5. Go back to verse 4. Pick the thought up from verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, I'll come to that in a moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born... Under the law, verse 5, to redeem exagorazo, those who were under the law. 
that we might receive the adoption as sons. Adoption in the New Testament is not legal adoption. Adoption, in the New when you see adoption, it is not that you had a former father, whether you know or don't know, whether he died or went away, then I'm putting an orphanage or somebody now adopted you. The legal concept of adoption is totally different from the scriptural concept of adoption. The scriptural concept of adoption is formation, as though you never existed before. So when you think adoption, don't think like, oh, we adopted two children. The children existed from an otherwise parentage. And then we then changed their particulars and adopted them. That is not the scriptural concept of adoption. Adoption in the New Testament is conferment of rights and privileges. And it borrows from a Jewish culture of when a child comes of age. A child I give birth to comes of age and I confer upon the child all the rights and privileges that gives the child equal access to what I have. That is me adopting my child. That's Jewish adoption. That's me adopting. It's my child I adopt, not another man's child. It's me adopting my child. Me bringing you to the point where I can now say to you, Hello, son. That's the day I adopted you. Scriptural adoption is not you collecting another man's children. That's not what the word adoption means in the scriptures. So, put back up Galatians 4, 5. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. That's why we receive adoption. <laughs> put up the CPT. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. Put up the message. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. How does the Amplified put this? So that he might redeem and, good, I like this, and liberate those who were under the law that we who believe might be adopted as sons as God's children with all rights as Can you see it? Yes, So it's my children I adopt. Four times. Exagorazo. Galatians 3.13, Galatians 4.5, and then two other times which are the text of today's teaching. Now, apart from these four mentions of Exagorazo, there are two variants that are used in the New Testament as well. Exegorasen is used in Galatians 3.13 and it refers to, when you click it, it takes you back to exagorazo. Does that make sense? A variant. A verb form of it. Right? A verb form of it. Titus 2. Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us, because that's the that's a variant, egorasas, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. So it's a variant of the same word, exagorazo, for maybe the deed and purifying for himself his own special people zealous for good works. All this was just to exegete the word exagorazo, which is the word redeem. And that's the word kairos. Right? And kairos, when it comes up in the New Testament, about 85 or 86 times. The word kairos is translated time in the New Testament. It almost always refers to a fitting season, and you'll see it in a few examples in a bit. 
a fitting season, time in terms of opportunity. Don't forget we're coming from Exagorazo. Buy out from the market, the main market, especially with the fact that in the future, it has future gain and future profit. Right? Now what establishes that that future time has come is Kairos. Kairos is a time whose time has come. Do you understand? What's the time? 12 o'clock. So what? So what? Kairos refers to a time whose time has come. An opportune time. Are you following me now? Not just time in terms of marking how much is going past. Make sense? Not chronos. Not chronos. And not dispensation as in aeon. Are you following me now? But a time whose time is now. Are you following me? An opportune season in terms of opportunity. An occasion time, if you like. Right? We are at a wedding reception and we are waiting for, or even a wedding. I don't know why it's done like that in what you call white weddings. Because what you call white weddings, the entry of the bride and groom is not scriptural. Because you have reversed the order. You have canalized what is supposed to be a picture of what is spiritual, even though it is natural. Because marriage is not spiritual. It's natural. That's why it is a type of what is spiritual. Does that make sense? So spirit husband, spirit wife are all man-made by humans in falsehood and ignorance, interlaced and sprinkled with illiteracy. Spirit husband, spirit wife, spirit food, spirit car, spirit house, spirit children, spirit hair. There are so many things we have spiritualized that are not from scripture. You slept, you dreamt, you ate in the dream. You woke up, you need deliverance. It's the person that's delivering you that needs deliverance. You were awake, they didn't give you food. You were hungry. You slept, they gave you food. You now wake up, you now say you have a problem. Sir, you are, you are the devil. I, I didn't eat in, in, when I was awake. I now ate in my dream. You now follow me to my dream. Ah, oh, no, you're not a good person. You're not a good person. You don't wish me well at all. This life was not in an open vision that Peter had arise, kill and eat. Vision, vision is a senior brother of dream. Pretty much. Many vision, three times God said, My friend, get up and kill and eat. So we're now in church, church, and the groom is here waiting for bride to come. His bride. Is waiting for groom to come. Otherwise, it is Jesus waiting for the church to come. So it is much better in your weddings that there's no coming than to get it wrong. Just start the meeting. If there must be a coming, it is she who is being conformed that approaches he who is conforming her. The other way around. So we came for a marriage ceremony. Right? We came for a marriage ceremony. The marriage ceremony was announced or published uh, months in advance. And then 
time for the bride. At that point, they say, Can we rise up as we receive the bride? Sir, is the groom, but sir, bride. At the point that you rise up and you see the silhouette of the bride formed in the door, that was when the time for the wedding came. Kairos. Do you follow me now? In the absence of Kairos, Kronos is just there. It's just time. It's just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In the absence of events, time is irrelevant. It is events that punctuate and therefore define time. Does that make sense? So what differentiates one time from another is a variance of events. The reason why your birthday is special to you is because that's the day you were born and not any other day. Are you following me now? So Kairos is essentially a time whose time has come. An opportune moment. So me going to purchase and buy out something must be done when I know the purchase is most favorable. We have taken time to establish that Exagorazo is to purchase out and buy out. Every version of Buying it all out and knowing that this thing is of value, if not now, in the time to come. Make sense? Now, at the moment I determine, now all the oil where they market with this, are you sure I'm about to pay you? It's not when I will not pay you, now tell me, oh, there's one other 9-11 that is coming from Ogoja or from wherever, uh, has not arrived yet. So, this invoice I'm giving you does not cover the truck that is coming. That's bad timing. Because for exagorazo to be exagorazo, it must encompass every possibility, every dynamic and every variant. And therefore, the delicateness of exagorazo is to determine when. There is how Jesus would have given up that ghost two minutes earlier. Your name would have not been in the, in the book of life. Yes. If Jesus came and he knew that he came to die and that's all that he came to do, came to die for sins, why was he escaping death at some point? Mm -hmm. There was one time in, at Jerusalem mm -hmm. that they wanted to stone him to death. I mean, maneuvered in there. So if this is what I came to do, all deaths are death now. Mm -hmm. So just stone him to death. Isn't it? But at, at some point he was Escaping because. How then is what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. See, sir, sin needed to get to the point where nothing else can be added that can be called sin. Put it back up, TPT. 713. So did something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin or mask that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be seen for what it is. If Jesus had come, arrived and died, sir, that purchase would not have been a buyout. You would have been 
good purchase, wrong timing. You are saying, Pastor, why did Jesus not just arrive and die? My question to you, from the foundation of the world, why did Jesus not die then? Because since all die of Jesus not die, why didn't he just die from the first time the thought was conceived? Why didn't Adam's sin meet a already dead Jesus? Since he was from the foundation of the world that he was slain. So when you hear scripture says, in the fullness of time, that phrase is kairos. In the time for that time to happen. That's kairos. He cannot have the strategy and not know the time. Okay? Now all the oil be this. Now all, it don't reach one ton. If you are good as a merchant, you will know this oil never reach one ton. And so imagine how many thousands of years God spent waiting. It's not full. I can't see wealth inside here. It's not complete. So everything is, see, Sodom and Gomorrah is not full. Noah, okay, I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. It's not full. Sons of Korah, it's not full. Eon after eon. Dispensation after dispensation. Century after century. Millennium after. I said it's not full. Don't rush me. We'll wait. And all of eternity has been at a standstill until the time came to make the transaction that brought you into glory. Not a minute earlier. Not a day earlier. That's why he was dodging. I think he was afraid of dying. Because he knew he would die. He didn't want to die. He tried to negotiate it. But he, he came to do the father's will. And the father's will was for you to die. Because if he had died earlier, he would have died cheaper. It's a huge price that paid for you. Not a cheap one. If he had died earlier, guess the worst death he could have died? Pushed off a cliff. Remember? That they took him out to the city to push him off a cliff. So he could have just fallen by the time he gets to the end of the floor. He's dead. Even easier when Herod was killing babies. He could have just put a knife and just shed the innocent baby's blood already. End of story. Any other death before when he died would have been a cheaper way out. And not enough to pay the huge price. So Exagorazzo had to happen in Kairos. Because of what the father had in mind. You follow me now? So God in Christ dying for your sin was him redeeming the time. Was him earmarking a strategy and determining the appropriate season for it in view of what he had in mind. Look at a few examples of Kairos. Matthew 8.29 Matthew 8.29 and suddenly they cried out. This is the demons that were in that guy, the demoniac, Legion. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Demons told Jesus, Sir, you are about to spoil your own calendar. We see, we know you came to conquer us. 
We know. For the Son of Man is revealed that he may destroy the works of the devil. We know you came to conquer us. But sir, we and you both know it's not time. So for you to deal with us now is for you to violate your timetable. So you can't cast us out. You can't send us to abyss. It's not time for that yet. So, okay, find some other place and send us to. Because it's not time for you to destroy us. And they knew, they understood Kairos. Have you come to torment us before the time? And as soon as they said that, they had the attention of Jesus. And then they made their proposition and he accepted. Send them into the swine. Matthew 26, 18, another example. And he said, this is Jesus telling them, just before the, the Lord's Supper, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher, that's Rabbi, says, my time is at hand. My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. He didn't say my time is now. My Kairos is coming, it's closing in. Because you see, it had to be that Passover after the Passover. If there was just one Passover involved, we have a problem with the resurrection timeline. That story for another day. Because there were two Sabbaths in, within a 72-hour period. That's what could facilitate the dying of Jesus. When you do a proper study, you find that there was the weekly Sabbath and there was the high Sabbath in the same week that Jesus was, was killed. Not one Sabbath. So your Good Friday, I'm sorry, is wrong. There's nothing you can do to prove that Friday to Sunday is three days and three nights. There's nothing you can do. Stop embarrassing yourself. Stop it. There's no mathematics you plus father mass that you want to apply to give me Good Friday to Easter Sunday, three days and three nights. How do you want to explain it? It's one of the most foolish attempts in Christianity to justify nonsense. Friday to Saturday. One day and one night. Saturday to Sunday afternoon. One day and one night equals two days and two nights by Sunday afternoon. Not even Sunday morning. Because he died about 3 p.m. By 3 p.m. The ninth hour. On Friday. Now according to biblical timetables, a day is evening to evening. The evening and the morning. The dark time and the light time is one day. So one day would have been Friday 3 p.m. to Saturday 3 p.m. Which includes a night. Then Saturday 3 p.m. to Sunday 3 p.m. Day 2. So even if you want to say, okay, that's why it's, it's good Monday, Easter Monday. It is still early if you woke up on Monday morning. Your price is not complete. Because we need to go to Monday 3 p.m. To collect Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Friday into Saturday day, Saturday into Sunday day, Sunday into Monday day to give us three days and three nights. Stop it. Okay, but if they went, how come they went to the Imbam before the Sabbath? How come the body was on the cross and they couldn't stay on the night of the cross because of the Sabbath? And then they are coming in two days to embalm a body and it's a Sabbath. Your problem is your understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection is based on nativity story they told you in Sunday school. You just grew up with it and you think it's Rema until it is challenged. Mark eleven thirteen, And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. He came to it. He found nothing but leaves for it was not the season. The word there is kairos for figs. 
Show us a few other translations. TPT, perhaps, message. For it wasn't yet the season for bearing figs. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yet the season for figs. KJV. For the time of figs was not yet. How does Amplified put it? For it was not the season for figs. So what there is the word? Kairos. Luke 1944. Go to 43. For days will come upon you. I'm just giving examples of the, word, of the use of the word Kairos. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, 44, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Kairos happened to you. You didn't know. You will pay the price. And this is twofold and it's regarding Israel. Twofold. It's happened in part. A lot of the Israeli prophecies have been partly fulfilled. Some of them have been wholly fulfilled. Some of them have not at all been fulfilled. And so in the ages to come, there will be a completion of certain partly fulfilled prophecies over Israel. And there will be a manifestation of totally pending prophecies over Israel. Yes, it's contained in eschatology. So because Israel, because he came to his own, his own received him not. Because by God's plan, it should have been Israel evangelizing the entire world for the gospel. Mm -hmm, that was God's plan. That's why Jesus will always tell them, I was not sent except to the lordship of Israel. The only time Jesus stepped out of Israeli territory was when he met that guy whose demons he sent into the pigs. That's the only time. Never traveled outside the 300 mile radius of Israel. That's why he would tell, well, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. Yeah. Even Paul says, as a Jew, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16, for it's the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then Gentile. Go into the world and make disciples of all men, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's northern Israel. Okay, we have covered Israel, uttermost part of the earth. So what brought the gospel to you? Persecution that came upon Jews that should have left there to go and preach and they gathered in Jerusalem. Scattered them. Thomas found himself in India. So it was, it was Jews primarily. So this prophecy there in Luke was partly fulfilled in AD 70 because he came to his own. John 1 11. He came to his own. His own received him not. Why didn't he receive him? Because they did not have understanding of Kairos. It wasn't that Jesus was a bad guy. They just didn't realize that the time they had been expecting had come. If only you knew the things that make for your peace, oh Jerusalem. They had no understanding of Kairos. No understanding of time. So Jesus came and they commonized him because they didn't understand that their visitation was here. And it was painful because they were expecting their visitation. John 7 and 8. John 7 and 8. I am not yet going up to this feast. This is when his disciples told him to go with them to Jerusalem. I am not yet going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. So Jesus at every point in Kronos was conscious of the Father's will and when the Kairos would come. In English, at every point in time, Jesus was conscious of the will and the time. You follow me now? And every point in time, 
So it wasn't just, let me do your will, let me do your will, let me do your will. You, you could have done his will out of time. And therefore you will not have redeemed the time. Are you following me now? So you do that and then you, you are convinced. You, you went with X amount of money, but X amount of money could have bought you more. It's not like you spent less money. You spend the same amount of money but got less value. You follow me now? You got less value. If you go to a fish market by the riverside to fish and there is multiple catch, fish is cheap. By the time the fishermen come back on shore and the catch is little, the price skyrockets. So a fishmonger knows exactly when in the day to make that trade because at a particular time in the day my 6k can buy me nine catfish at another time in the day that same 6k will buy me four catfish at another time in the day by the time this fish seller woman knows she cannot salt and preserve her fish and by tomorrow it will not be fresh fish it will have to become smoked fish she will sell you 16 for 6k because what she doesn't sell, she cannot sell as what she's supposed to sell as. By tomorrow, fresh fish has become smoked fish. And the market is not for smoked fish. You don't know exactly when. And that's being led by the Spirit essentially. Being led by the Spirit is not just knowing the what or the how. It's wrapping the what and the how in the when. It's all about the when for each move. When the kairos of the pneuma, the time of the spirit, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. Last example, Romans 5 and 6. Romans 5, 6. For when we were still without strength in due time. You see that? Not at one time, like he could have died for us on any day. Do you understand? He could have died for us. Let the circumstances just be right. You die. Whether, <laughs> you know. No. In due time. Okay, so. Redeeming the time then will mean hitting the nail on the head, striking when the iron is hot, when you are sure that everything has congregated together such that your purchase covers it all because of what lies in view. Are you following me now? Now that is what has brought you into salvation. That's how you came in. You were a proper, carefully calculated and delivered thought in the mind of God. That's how you were saved. Huge price. You were a product of opportunity and right timing. Bringing forth the will of God. Colossians 4, 5 to 6. This is now speaking as to people who are saved. Speaking as to people that understand the mechanisms of their salvation. Now, see what that redemption calls you and I into. And the New King James says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside exagorazo the kairos. This is now telling you redeem the time. I have redeemed you I have done a buyout with everything that concerns you, having in mind everything you could become. 
I bought the patent for you. I bought you out in hope that there's a future profit to you. Now I've brought you into that same dimension. Are you with me? As a son, the only way now is left for you to live your life is redeeming the time. And redeeming the time does not suggest being on time, like not being late. It suggests being conscious of the far-reaching consequence of everything you do. Being conscious not not just of what you're doing, but of the far-reaching consequence, the scope, the impact of what you're doing on everybody else. In other words, a son of God who has been redeemed in time, redeems the time by living consciously that my life has consequences and implications. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, the CPT. Walk in the wisdom of God as you live before the unbelievers and see how it renders redeeming the time and make it your duty to make him known. If you now play back the scriptures I showed you that showed that you were bought with a price, you see that the following verse in each time was telling you what to do in favor of the knowing that you were bought with a huge price. So I skipped them earlier because I hadn't gotten there. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 6.20, look at that for instance. Is it coming together for you already? You were God's expensive purchase, paid for with tears of blood. So by all means then, use your body to bring glory to God. That's you being conscious of the price that paid for you. It's not you trying to pay some of the price. It's you saying, man, do you know what it cost God to save me? I have to be a good ambassador of this gift of grace. Because my life also buys out in time somebody who will not appreciate light until he sees it in me at a particular time. Spiritual maturity is when you get to the point in your life where you never have to apologize to somebody you met in the taxi three months ago for how you shouted at the driver for not giving you change. You know how embarrassing it is for you as a son of God for you to meet someone and say, ah, it was you. Oh, I'm sorry about that day. I was just very angry. I was angry. The driver really, really upset me. So I just, I just, you know, I'm really very sorry. A lot of us live our lives as though there are no consequences. You chat with somebody that you never ever think you will stand in the same room and worship with. Does that make sense? You do stuff with people that you never ever think will affect your faith in the sense of somebody seeing you and never ever believing that anything good can come out of you because of their encounter with you. Does that make sense? Your git man, your, your security man, or your superior or even subordinate at work walks into church and sees you. And they're like, you know what? If it's this person that is in this church, I'm not coming. You know what, what gets you there? When you lived your life not conscious of redeeming the time. So when Paul says redeeming the time, he's telling you live your life in its totality with one thing in view that at any point in time there's somebody that you can be an example of Christ to. 
at any point in time. So you can't get angry and say, in a church we day. You don't know who is watching. For whom the kairos would be your behavior at that particular time. So the person sees you tomorrow and they will not have any attention to give to you. Because they saw you when you misbehaved. They saw you when you, as they say in Pentecostal circles, manifested. 1 Corinthians 7.23. You see how every time the magnitude of what Jesus did was highlighted, it calls you into responsibility. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. So it's constantly calling you to a consciousness that is commensurate with the price that bought you. Are you following me now? And then he calls you to do the same. Calls you to redeem the time. Calls you to live your life thinking about future gain. Calls you that every time you wake up as a son of God, open your eye, go market. You can't live randomly. You are not purchased randomly. So every time you wake up, you must be conscious of how you live. Conscious of the fragrance you are spreading. You're not redeeming the times. You're not thinking about future gain. You're not concentrating on buying out every opportunity around you. Maximizing it because in the future, this thing can help me. Redeeming the time means living your life circumspectly. Living your life with future gain in view. Does that make sense? Future gain in view. You're mindful of it. You meet somebody and your body feels funny. And you inform yourself instantly. There's value riding on my head. There's value riding on where I'm going. And you even tell the person, see, another time, another place. <laughs> we could have, should have, would have been. But in view of who and whose I am and where I'm going, I'm sorry I cannot indulge this. And I apologize for as much as I did before I came to this realization. That's when you are redeeming the time. Are you listening to me? If your body was doing you something. You went and toasted a girl in church. When she said no, that's when your head now reset. And you realize you should not have toasted her. Redeem the time means to go and say, listen, that was a moment of wrong judgment. I, 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 I know I can't take it back, but I repent. And vice versa. Because there are some sisters on steroids these days. You live in favor of where you're going. Six months later, we announce your name as a pastor. Nobody will shout blood of Jesus. Because the first thing that to highlight is the first impressions you left in the test of people when you first came or when they first came. So you must always live like where you are going in view. Let me, let me tell you one of the most dangerous ways to live. Live constantly on the apologetic. If you are constantly thinking that you can always say sorry and sorry will always fix it, you are weakling. If you go further to say, ah, but I, I said sorry now because sorry is a magic wand that just resets everything. Okay, the bygone is bygone. Let's see how we are going. You are a very foolish person. I shouldn't be associating with you. Because you are not redeeming the time. There is a conflagration of events that if they had happened at a particular time would have altered the outcome. And I for one bleed and hurt whenever I realize that a kairos happened I didn't take advantage of. It's painful if you are conscious of the workings of God. If you are conscious, you will stop trying to excuse it away like there's always another time 
There's plenty Kronos. There's not a lot of Kairos. Jesus could not have died at another time, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's wrong with you? There's plenty Kronos. Nobody's arguing Kronos with you. But Kairos is not repeated. Time that happens in time. In the opportune time for it is when it happens. And all the ingredients coming together bring about something. You miss it, it closes. Until the eon happens again in Kronos that might bring about a Kairos. You don't see somebody studying a lunar eclipse and missing it because he was in the toilet and saying, no worry, I'll get it tomorrow. I'll get it tomorrow. Maybe not even your lifetime. Definitely not in that geographical location. You probably have to travel somewhere in a particular time to wait for the geographical permutations to line up for you to encounter that again, if, if, if at all. If at all. A lot of us are irresponsible with Kairos. You're not opening your eye and going to market. You're not able to stay and master all that is happening and bring it together for the sake of the gospel of Christ that did the same thing to purchase you. Does that make sense? This is what John says in 1 John when he says that um, Jesus died for us, gave his life for us, so also we ought to lay our lives for the brethren. He's not saying you ought to die on the cross for your brethren. He's saying you ought to live with the same concept of price and purchase with your brethren that Jesus did for you. That's you redeeming the time the way Jesus redeemed the time. It's you understanding that your every move has cross congregational impact and implication. Your every move has cross congregational impact and implication. You can't lose your temper whenever you like. You can't. No, me when I vex, when I'm angry, I have to let it go. I have to express it. You don't understand Kairos. Somebody's watching you in that moment that will define you for the rest of your life based on what you're doing. For the rest of your life will define you based on what you're doing. So we cannot live randomly because we're not bought randomly. You cannot live arbitrarily. You cannot live anyhow you like. You can't live cheaply. You can't put anything in your body or stick anything in your body or take your body anywhere. A huge price was paid for you. So by all means, enjoy your party at the nightclub. But by more means, remember the price that paid enough to keep you alive to even think of stepping your feet in a nightclub. It's because you don't know the price that was paid over you. That you're comfortable enough to take your body to a place where your body, if your body knows the price, has no place and no business going. So you see, most of, most of what we're involved in is simply because we have no understanding of redeeming the time. Because if you did, you'd be wiser now. Now. If you did, like I said an hour ago, your repentance would be swifter. Yes. You will not think that you have all of the rest of your life to correct what you did wrong. You're still very stupid. You're still oblivious of the humongous price, the expensive price that saved you, that should become God's fragrance to everybody around you. 
You don't have all your life to make up. You have now. Because you, in your foolishness, blew a den that had Kairos on it. So it's in God's mercies that you have Kronos still ticking now. And you start to get up and fix up instantly. Redeeming the time. It's not about being on time. It's not capi diem. You know, Latin for maximize the moment. It's deeper than that. Redeeming the time is not maximize the moment because that's not what Jesus did. Ah, look, 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 he's ready. Let's go and save them. No, he took his time. He opened eye for market. Is anybody receiving instruction? Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Ephesians 5 is the other instant of redeeming the time. See then that you walk circumspectly. Can you see that? Not as fools. Before you say, ah, this pastor can submit insult people. Scripture. Because if you are foolish, you are simply not walking the wisdom of God. And that's the English term actually is called a simpleton. A fool according to biblical standards is a simpleton. Someone who is very basic of knowledge. Very basic. Things are staring you in the face. And you, they are still lost on you. That's a foolish person. Not somebody who does anyhow. So you are very foolish and you don't feel insulted. If you are not foolish, how would you feel foolish? Because somebody said you are foolish. That somebody calls you foolish doesn't make you foolish. The foolish person is simpleton. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, comma, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. So what is the hallmark of wisdom? Redeeming the time. Put this up in the TPT for me, verse 16. Or 15, 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. So watch your step. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Stay here. I want to see in the TPT. So see how the TPT puts it. It says, so be very careful how you live. Not being like those with no understanding. But live honorably with true wisdom. For we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. And don't live foolishly, for then you will have discernment to fully understand God's will. Tell anybody redeeming the time. Go back to Colossians 4 and 5 and I'll end there. Colossians 4 and 5 and 6. Give me in the TPT. Walk in the wisdom of God. As you live before the unbelievers and make it your duty to make him known. Next verse. Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. For then you will be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks about your faith. You must be conscious about the price that saved you. There's future gain. There's somebody who will sit under you tomorrow. There's somebody who polished your shoes or washed your clothes who will come into something major tomorrow. 
Not everybody suffering is suffering because they're not privileged. And then you know, you know, teach people anyhow. And then when time happens to them, you realize that this same person you insulted, this same person you insulted for 15 naira, 100 naira, a text, they stepped on your leg. What is at stake from your inability to be Christ on display is too huge a price to mess with. Are you guys hearing me? Too huge a price to mess with. If, you're, if you understand how you were redeemed, then every day that you live, everywhere that you go, your life is Christ on display. Your life is walking worthy of your calling. Every day. Especially if you are in a place of spiritual responsibility in church. You can't afford to have a day off showing the realities of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now it's a beautiful thing because that's what grace is in your life to achieve. Yes. This is when you are light. So every time, you, every transaction, everybody you have to deal with knows when they encounter you that they meet the light of Jesus. I'm not saying go and preach at everybody. Again, there's time for that. Kairos. There's time for that. But that your everyday rolling recurrent life is that of showing the beauty of the price that saved you. Because that's how somebody else will see it. That's when you redeem the time. So it's not the English concept of sharp sharp. That's not. And unfortunately, some translations render it like that. Essentially, take advantage. Sharp sharp. It shows an unplanned life. You know, you were going somewhere, you saw something, and jumped into it. That's what take advantage means. That's what capitalism means. Maximize the moment. Seize the moment. That's that's not the concept from scripture. As I've taken time to show you. The concept from scripture is that of deliberately mapping out something because you know what the end of it will be. Living your life a particular way because you know what the end of it will be. Conducting your affairs a particular way because you know what the end of it will be. So that when you get there, you don't have to start with saying sorry about the other time. Because you know there's a huge elephant in the room. Sorry about that, that other time, you know. And then the person just knows you. whatever else you have to say cannot be put on a different pedestal from who I counted you to be. Does that make sense? So don't be in a hurry to, especially when it has to do with interpersonal relations, don't be in a hurry to start any kind of relationship with anybody. Never be in a hurry. If you start a relationship you did not plan out, it will end up badly. And I'm not talking just heterosexual. I'm talking even the pastor that you choose to stay under. Even the friend you choose to hang with. The roommate you decide to, to, to bunk with. It cannot be random. What am I going to pass? What, what, how is Christ going to be seen through me to this person? Who knows if I was not brought in for such a time as this. You can't be crazy. You are with somebody and you're chatting. You know, and you're talking about church and both of you are okay. And you're laughing and both of you are like, hey, me too. I saw it. I noticed it. I didn't notice it. Both of you have forgotten that one day the word of God will hit one of you and one of you will repent before the other. Are you following me now? Because the impact of what you said in your low moment, in your undiscerning moment, the ripple effect still echoes across the fabric of church life even though the word has put paid to it and you're not that anymore. You can't retract it. You can't retract the effect. And not everybody who you have infected 
will be exposed to the word to the degree that you were exposed to that got you to repent. What would have avoided all of that? That both of you never needed to sit down and talk. And only a person who understands the redeeming of the times will ensure I am never in a position where I have to be misquoted. That's when you are an actual Christ conscious believer. Because you can easily repent. Repentance is easy actually. It's just doing a U-turn. But the consequences abide with us for a long time. That's why you must redeem the times. Every conversation you have. Can you see how the TPT puts verse 6, Colossians 5, 4, 4, 6? Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered, constrained, regulated, bound with truth and clarity. No ambiguity. No, uh, I'm only saying this anyhow you want to get it and interpret it now you know you have deliberately planted a seed for ambiguity to thrive in the body so what you can look forward to in the future is a function of how much you utilize now what you do with now what imprints you leave in the annals of time now so Jesus is on the earth and he's walking and he's tempted in every way yet he knew no sin, why? What did he come to pay for? Sin. So if there's one thing he can't mess with, it's sin. Sin, death, hell, and the grave. So you're not going to find Jesus toying with such as the idea of sin. Because he came to deliver us from the power of sin. Are you following me now? So if your life is light to someone, you never want to be found in a dark place. And this is a reminder to anybody who by the virtue of this teaching realizes you are in a dark place. It's messed up, but it's not too late to climb out of it. And here's how you climb out of it. Climb out. I said earlier on, you don't have the rest of your life to make up for what you lost. You have the rest of your life to create other moments that are not hinged on you trying to repair what you lost. Are you listening to me now? Yes, Thinking, oh, I have all the rest of my life, I can make it up to you. There are some kairos you will not ever get back. First of all, you must sit down, repent for missing it. Yes. You must admit that you screwed up along the way. Yes. You must. Yes. You must. You must admit, no, 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 I got this wrong. Yes. This and this and this and this came together at this chronos. Kairos happened at this junction in time and I missed it. Getting it right starts from admitting where you got it wrong. I'm not trying to justify it. And then once you identify it, you admit I got it wrong. This is where my Kairos moment was lost in the chronos of my life so far. Then moving forward, I am determined to redeem the time. Whatever it takes to ensure that I am maximizing a moment is what I'm going to do because that's what Jesus did. And then what he did wrong, just come away from it. Just come away from it. What does Paul say to them about malice? He said, put away. The Ephesian church, what does he say to them about, 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 about lying? Put away. Sexual immorality, put away. Lasciviousness and drunkenness and homosexuality, put away. 
It's nothing so difficult. So if the place is still dark where you fell into, it's only dark because you don't realize that you can come out now. And you're a son of light. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. We are not sons of darkness. We're not sons of the night. We are sons of the day. And we are sons of light. The kingdom we have been brought into is the kingdom of the saints in light. Colossians 1.12 He's brought us out of darkness into, Peter 2.9 Into his marvelous light. That's where we are. Into his marvelous light. So there is always light to dispel the darkness. Always light. Always light. Always light. Always light. You missed it. Just go right back to where you know now you missed it. And just fix it. Say what needs saying. And move on. Move on. You cannot assume let bygones be bygones. And you haven't actually addressed your bygone. Still even in denial. You can't, you can't move forward with the baggage of the past. And then when you establish it, speak about it. And again, not speaking about it in trying to justify yourself. In admitting, me, I messed this one up. But here is me saying, moving forward, I'm redeeming the time. What I have left, you know, you get to a point in your life where you start to take stock. And realize I messed up a lot. I, messed, I, didn't leave, I didn't leave the right impressions. Deal with it. Fix it. For the sake of Christ on display. And may I see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's a new day, guys. It's a new day. Come off the weight of your past. You're the one who is weighing yourself down with the weight. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Come off the weight of your past. Come off the weight of your mistakes. Come off the weight of, as they say, youthful exuberance. Come off the weight of speaking too early. Approaching too early. Choosing too early. Getting distracted too early. Be, Be conscious of the price that bought you. Live worthy of it. Live worthy of him. Maximize the liberty that is yours in Christ Jesus. Maximize the freedom that is yours in Christ Jesus. And don't bind yourself into what he paid, the huge price he paid to free you from. You don't have to stay bound. You don't. And if you're struggling with something, speak up. Free yourself. Take all the help that the church is here to give. The church of Jesus Christ is the best support system you can ever have. Redeeming the times. Open your eye. Go market. Every time you wake up, you're conscious of how you're living your life. You're not living it in fear. You're living it in deliberateness. You know, consciousness. Every life, everybody I encounter today is my church member. Pretty much. I'm going to show you Christ. Everybody I encounter. My life is my pulpit. That's when you're Christ conscious. My life is my pulpit. My business is my pulpit. My school, my classroom is my pulpit. My workplace is my pulpit. And it's constantly Christ you have on display. Constantly. Constantly. 
And all somebody needs to, to, to remember is a transaction they had with you. And that, okay, no wonder you were this transparent. It had to have been that message that you preached. No wonder you were this nice. No, the price is big enough that was paid over you. You are redeemed. So walk in that redemption. Walk, walk in it. Walk in it. And how do you walk in it? You manifest redemption. Manifest class. Spirit class. Essentially, that's what it is. Manifest the high price that bought you. High price that bought you. High price. That's why most times the most difficult thing for you to do with an, a very expensive phone is to put a cheap case on it. Because you feel like this is hiding the humongosity of the thing. That's why people buy iPhone cases with diamond studs. Just so that it is worthy of holding the phone. Does that make sense? You know, you want to be able to carry the phone and, you know, be using it to gesticulate. Why? Because you are conscious of the value of what you're holding. And why would you now carry yourself and put yourself in a stupid case if you know how huge the price is that paid for you? Before, as a lady, you end up lying down under a man, you remember the price that was paid for you. You ask yourself, what, how much the brother contributed? It's not thou shalt not, thou shalt not that will help you. It's knowledge, epignosis, that comes from teaching. That's what will help you. One day you wake up and understand, hold up. Ah, even a servant in my father's house. He's not suffering this nonsense. Epignosis. And once you come to the realization, wait, I'm the king's kid. I'm the king's kid. Son of the most high God. I'm not cheap. You repent of every cheapness. In whatever sphere of your life. You will turn around 180. Hold your head up high. And walk in the direction of light. How can I be gossiping with people? Me. Gossip. Gossip is beneath me. And so you repent. Malice is beneath me. Repent. Stinginess is beneath me. You repent. Rebellion is beneath me. You repent. Insubordination is beneath me. You repent. Indiscipline is beneath me. You repent. Laziness and slothfulness is beneath me. You repent. You become productive. Entrepreneurial in spirit. Failing exams is beneath me. Me, carry over. How? The last one was the last one. You repent. And you move. You fail an exam, you go to the VC's office. Because you know. This, 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 this is not an exam I ought to fail. Drag it anywhere. And then we will join and carry the whole church. Yes. will carry plaque and stand with you in front of this office. Yes, the church is not yet where the church can be because integrity is not complete. Yes. We can't be dragging with you when we're not even sure that you even read. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah. That you even read that you were in lecture. That, that there's no reproach on you. But if the church gets to that point where our ranks are closed because we are redeeming the time, together we can go Anywhere. That's when the church will begin to harness her true power. Because you, 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 you're redeeming the time. You're redeeming the time. And Father, we walk into it. Oh, we walk into it. We walk into the fullness of it. And we give you praise. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. 
For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.